The following podcast is entirely a work of fan fiction. It is unofficial, unaffiliated, and unauthorised. Neither the podcast, nor any individual involved in its production, is now, nor has ever been, in any way associated with HBO, Game of Thrones, George R. R. Martin, or the Song of Ice and Fire book series. The podcast was, is now, and shall always be entirely without profit. Neither the podcast directly, nor its makers indirectly, generate or receive any form of revenue or financial restitution that might otherwise accrue to the rightful copyright holders. The following podcast is entirely a work of fan fiction. We hope you enjoy it. An excited crowd of common folk fills the square. The gallows have been specially crafted for the occasion. Atop the wooden platform, the bow of a ship tilts at an angle, the bowsprit serving as the gallows from which the noose hangs down over a trapdoor built into the raised platform. Cersei Lannister and Euron Greyjoy emerge onto a balcony overlooking the square. Euron waves to the people, reveling in the adulation. Here we are, best seats in the house. I don't see why we couldn't just lock her in the black cells and be done with it. Now, now, lover. I don't tell you how to play with your toys. A pair of hooded executioners lead Yara Greyjoy up onto the platform, flanked by a pair of Lannister guards. The executioners place the noose around Yara's neck and stand back, awaiting Euron's order. Unnoticed, a cloaked rider sits on a horse in the shadows behind the platform. On a flight of stairs overlooking the square, two more hooded figures elbow their way to the front of the crowd. Good people of King's Landing, before you stands, and soon hangs, Yara of House Greyjoy, whose insatiable lust for power led her first to murder my beloved brother Balon and seize his throne, then make alliance with the Dragon Queen to wage her terrible war and usurp your rightful queen, Cersei Lannister. All this while drinking pillaging and lying with those of her own sex against all the laws of gods and men. Yara of House Greyjoy, in the name of Queen Cersei, first of her name, I sentence you to die. Yara closes her eyes and prepares for the drop. The first executioner places his hand on the lever to open the trap door. Suddenly, the two hooded figures in the crowd produce crossbows from beneath their cloaks and expertly dispatch Yara's guards. The second executioner pulls a short sword from his cloak and buries it to the hilt in the first executioner's belly. With one quick swing, he severs the rope tethering Yara to the bowsprit overhead, then promptly pulls the lever to release the trap door. The cloaked rider kicks his mount to a gallop and arrives just in time to receive Yara after a short, sharp shove from the executioner sends her plummeting through the platform floor. Euron glares down from his balcony, watching in impotent rage as the charging stallion parts the frantic crowd and escapes the square into the city beyond. With her hands still bound, Yara pulls back the hood of her mysterious rescuer. Theon! Hold on! Theon Greyjoy spurs his horse to a gallop. Through the busy streets and winding lanes of King's Landing, the Greyjoy siblings outpace the pursuing city guard as they descend Aegon's high hill towards the harbour and Blackwater Bay beyond. 
Looking quickly down the alleyways to their left and then their right, Yara spots mounted city guard pulling ahead on the streets parallel to their own. She tugs at Theon's sleeve. Recognising the trap about to close across their path, Theon reins up the horse and turns it down a side street. Yeah, yeah. He recognises his mistake immediately. 200 yards ahead, the street dead ends in the solid stone of the city walls. One glance over his shoulder is enough to confirm that their exit is already filling with city guards. Undeterred, Theon drives his mount forward, reining it up seconds before collision. Theon dismounts beside his sister, cuts Yara's bonds with a short sword from his pack, then makes her a gift of the blade, preferring for himself the bow and quiver he untethers from the saddle. Up there! A narrow flight of steps offer escape to the top of the city walls. As Yara begins the climb, Theon draws his bow and brings down two of the gold cloaks, charging down the alley towards them, then follows after his sister. Yara cuts down the first of the city guards descending the steps to meet them, then sidesteps the second's clumsy sword swing and barges him over the ledge. She makes it atop the walls, Theon close on her heels, but there finds both directions blocked by a posse of gold cloaks. Now what do we do? We jump. Yara peers over the edge at the waters of Blackwater Bay far below. You are completely mad. Trust me. I've survived higher. Taking one another's hand, they throw themselves from the walls. Their pursuers rush to the edge, watching in disbelief as the Greyjoys drop like stones into the waters of the bay. Yara and Theon explode to the surface, gasping for air. 200 yards behind them, the city walls are filling with gawping common folk. 200 yards ahead, a pair of ironborn row a small fishing boat to their rescue. I can't believe you did that. I should never have let Euron take you. You came back for me now. That's all that matters. Thank you, little brother. As soon as Yara sets foot on the ship's deck, her crew swallow her up in a celebratory mob Somewhere between bawdy greetings and bear hugs of welcome, Yara notices her brother's absence. Finding him standing apart, alone at the bow, she pushes her way through the press of bodies. You're not coming with us, are you? I'll always have seawater in my veins, but the Iron Islands haven't been my home since I was a child. Winterfell is my home, and I have to help defend it. Yara looks her brother over with pride and nods her understanding. I could use a lift, though. What is dead may never die. But rises again, harder, harder and, and stronger. stronger.
Samuel Tarley sits at the window to the modest room he shares with Gilly and little Sam, pensively watching the southern approach to Winterfell. Gilly rolls over in bed. Finding Sam missing, she sits up and rubs the sleep from her eyes. Moving stealthily to avoid disturbing the sleeping little Sam, she wraps herself in a fur and joins Sam at the window. All those books you read, and you can't find one that tells you how to get a good night's sleep. I know. I'm sorry. Will you at least talk to me about it? Imagine if you knew something about me, something I didn't know, and if you told me it could cause problems between John and somebody else, uh, Ed say, what would you do? It's far too early for riddles, Sam. Just imagine. Do I know for certain how John's going to react? Not for certain, no, but you have an idea. It's more Ed that's the problem, really. Do I know how Ed's going to react? Not a clue. Then I talked to somebody who knew Ed better than I did. Somebody I could trust. Turning back to the window, Sam peers apprehensively at the horizon. The first light of dawn illuminates the snow-covered fields of the northern landscape. I was afraid you'd say that. The King's Road is crowded on either side by northerners, watching with cold curiosity as the Targaryen forces march toward Winterfell. The expert ranks of the Unsullied march at the procession's head, the mounted Dothraki at the rear. At the centre, Daenerys Targaryen rides behind Ser Jorah Mormont, Tyrion Lannister and Varys paired behind. Bringing up the rear, Missandei and Grey Worm bridle under the locals' abrasive scrutiny and exchange a loaded look. These people have no love for our queen. My brother believed the people of Westeros pray to the gods for a return to Targaryen rule. He said they would dance in the streets and sing songs to welcome us home. As your hand, I feel it my duty to clarify that we are not in Westeros, Your Grace. We are in the north, a different country entirely. And I've never known a northerner to sing or dance for any reason, least of all a Targaryen. Wouldn't you agree, Mormont? Most of these people will go their whole life without ever experiencing the world beyond their borders. The South is nothing to them but the place where their beloved Starks go to die. When outsiders do come riding north, it typically means a new king, a new tax, or a new war. The second and third tend inevitably to follow on from the first, in my experience. And in mine, Lord Barris, words like King's Landing and Iron Throne have as much bearing on their daily lives as temperance does a barkeep or celibacy a pleasure house madam. You cannot expect them to fall at your feet simply because you have the strongest claim to the crown. Even when I delay that claim to defend their lives against an army of the dead. Even when I come at John's invitation... Daenerys's gaze finds Jon Snow further up the line, deep in conversation with the Stark captain that has come to meet him on the road. They've heard nothing but lies for years now, Your Grace. From Joffrey, from Cersei, from the Boltons. When you're cut off from the rest of the world, you're easy prey for those that mean to poison your mind against the unfamiliar. Tyrion notices a group of children laughing and pointing at him. Their mother appears and shoos them away protectively, firing Tyrion a death stare as she follows after them. Forgive me, Your Grace, but perhaps it was a mistake to ride into Winterfell? Perhaps flying would have made the more purposeful impression. 
If I must earn these people's love, then so be it. I will not demand it from atop a dragon. Have you and John discussed his sister? Which? You know very well which. The one that can make things very difficult for us politically, should she take the notion. Sansa is loyal to her brother. Her brother is loyal to me. You do well to forge your own bonds with her. Tyrion's gaze finds John up ahead. For both your sakes. When I last spent any time with Sansa, she was a fool, naive and pliable. She was also possessed of an exceptional instinct for survival. If rumour is to be believed, only one of those two things still holds true today. If I can tame three dragons, I don't foresee one young she-wolf proving too difficult. As though on cue, Drogon and Rhaegal crest a hill and make their entrance. The northern crowd gasps and cowers in fear. John, by comparison, is entirely undisturbed by events over his head, barely sparing an upwards glance as he rides back down the line. Jorah discreetly drops behind to allow John's horse to fall into step alongside Daenerys's. Everything's ready for our arrival. Welcome to Winterfell, Your Grace. Sansa Stark tracks the dragons from Winterfell's battlements. She shows no fear, nor does she marvel at their majesty. Instead, she considers the dragons soberly, as an engineer might survey a river that needs fording. Turning her attention to the arriving army, she sighs and dutifully assumes the guise of gracious hostess. Daenerys and Jon ride through Winterfell's gates side by side, the Queen's retinue trailing behind. The residents of Winterfell are lined up and waiting to greet their guests. Sansa stands in the lady's place at the head of the line. Bran Stark sits in his chair beside her. Dismounting, Jon makes a beeline for his brother. He wraps Bran up in his arms, kisses his forehead, then holds him at arm's length, just taking in the sight, as though he fears Bran might vanish at any moment. I hardly recognised you. I haven't gotten taller. John doesn't know how to take this. He looks to Sansa for help. That was a joke, John. John checks with Bran, sees the hint of a smile at the corner of his mouth. Welcome home. Daenerys steps forward. John regards her with the same look of pride with which he surveyed Winterfell. Daenerys Targaryen, this is my little brother, Bran. John has told me so much about you, Bran. Not quite enough, I suspect. And this is my sister Sansa. Sansa, Queen Daenerys Targaryen. Your Grace. Daenerys surprises Sansa by enveloping her in a warm embrace. Lady Sansa. John talks often of the North, but truly he could never hope to do justice to its beauty. Or your own. You're too kind, Your Grace. A white streak lopes across the yard and barrels into John. He kneels to let Ghost lick excitedly at his face. Hello, boy. Gods, I missed you. And this must be Ghost. 
Daenerys crouches down, and Ghost doesn't hesitate to include her in his slobbery greeting. I guess this means he likes me. He always was a good judge of character. Jon grins at Sansa. She smiles thinly, indulging her brother. He stands and surveys the new additions to Winterfell. The walkways have been extended to allow for greater capacity, while broad wooden ramps provide easier access to the battlements for men and supply carts alike. I see you've been busy. We've cleared the northern approach for a quarter mile. We put the lumber to use for shields and spears and reinforcing the inner battlements. The smithy has been working through the night, making weapons ready for your dragon glass. Excellent. I knew I was leaving things in a safe pair of hands. John smiles at Daenerys encouragingly. It is clear from Sansa's expression, however, that John's patronising tone is less than appreciated. Let's make a start on our plan of battle, shall we? I assume we're using the Great Hall. I thought perhaps you and I would give her grace a little time to make herself at home. No need. The sooner we make a start, the better. I noticed on our ride up... Your sister is right. I could use an hour or two to see that everything is in order after our journey. Take some time with your family. John looks from Daenerys to Sansa, aware that some unarticulated understanding has just passed between them, but failing to grasp its import. As you wish, Your Grace. Daenerys and Sansa make eye contact, Sansa ever so slightly inclining her head in acknowledgement of their unspoken complicity. John searches the welcome party, turns to Sansa expectantly. Where's Arya? Arya Stark stands at the edge of the clearing that Drogon and Rhaegal have taken as their own. A team of Dothraki unload goat and sheep carcasses from the back of a wagon and hurriedly scramble to a safe distance as the dragons begin to feast. Arya studies them closely. As Arya watches on, Gendry silently approaches from behind. Incredible, aren't they? Wasn't the word I was thinking of. Arya answers without turning to face him. You don't seem surprised I'm here. I saw you arrive. I didn't see you. Finally, now, Arya turns to face Gendry. No, you wouldn't have. You look good. You've changed. You look taller. You don't. After a moment's awkward pause, Arya grins. Gendry does likewise, but speaks seriously. You do look different, though. Sam puffs his way up the steps to the battlements. Oh, sorry. Grey Worm blocks Sam's path. I, uh, just wanted... Grey Worm stands silent and impassive. Daenerys stands at a remove with Jorah and Masande, looking out over the vast camp erected to Winterfell's east to accommodate the northern army. What do you make of Winterfell, Sir Jorah? She seems sturdy enough, and will certainly see the enemy coming. I'll need to take a more thorough look before I can make a proper report. Very well. I'd like Grey Worm's opinion too. Jorah notices Sam at the end of the battlements. Your Grace, if I may. Is that him? Randall Tarly's son. Samuel. You have my leave. Thank you, Your Grace. Sam perseveres, smiling awkwardly at the stoic Grey Worm. This your first time in Westeros? Weather's not great, is it? What do you think of Northern hospitality? 
I think it would be a good idea. Sam, you're looking well. Thank you. You certainly look a lot stronger than the last time I saw you. I wonder if I might have a word? In private, I mean. I was actually about to ask you the same. Turgo Nudo, her grace would like your impressions of Winterfell and its defences. I'll come and find you once I'm free. Grey Worm nods, and Jorah and Sam start down the steps. You wanted to talk to me about something? I think perhaps you had best go first. The fire in Bran's chambers is well fed. John pulls off his gloves and holds his hands to the flames appreciatively. He nods his head at Bran's fur-covered bed. Last time I saw you, you were lying right there, under a pile of furs. Someone sat outside, guarding your door, and your mother sat there, making you a prayer wheel with twine. I remember thinking how small you looked, how frail. Now look at you. You're a man grown. You told me we could go walking beyond the wall if I wasn't afraid. How do you know that? Did you see it in one of your visions? I could hear everything. I could hear Father saying goodbye before he left for King's Landing. And then Sansa and Arya. Then Mother when she followed after them. I was awake when Rob left, at least. I'm so sorry that I wasn't there when you needed me. I saw you, you know. At Craster's Keep, when you killed the mutineers and avenged Lord Commander Mormont, I wanted to call out to you, to let you know I was alive. Why didn't you? I still had a long way to go. We both did. Your father's heir, now. Lord of Winterfell. In name, perhaps. But Sansa is the real head of our family. She doesn't much care for your Dragon Queen. She doesn't know her. Daenerys is a good woman. And she'll make a good queen. John waits, but Bran offers no reply. John lets the moment pass, then moves to depart. I should go and find, are you? You're hurt she wasn't there to greet you. Surprised is all. Be gentle with her, John. The world has been hardened, are you? And she had to learn to be hard too. She's afraid that you won't like what she's become. She told you that. She's become very... Difficult to read, but not impossible. You're the last person alive that always understood her. Maybe she's afraid you've changed too. One day soon, when this is all over, we'll all sit down together and share our stories. They might not weigh so much if we aren't carrying them alone. People keep their secrets for all kinds of reasons, including those we can never entirely understand. Remember that, John. Sansa has returned to the battlements. She watches intently as Daenerys's dragons feed on a fresh wagon load of sheep. Arya appears like a shadow at her side. Well, it won't be easy, but it can be done. We know it can be done. She had three, now she has two. If it comes to it, could you do it? Their hide is tough, like old leather, and those scales will stand up to most steel, but get through that, and they're just a sack full of organs, same as everything else. If it comes to it, I can find a way. Arya joins her sister at the Crenellations. She considers the dragons from this new elevation, then turns her head and looks northward, levelling her gaze on the horizon. Don't you think we're getting a little ahead of ourselves? We have the Night King to contend with first. 
Of all the lessons Littlefinger taught me, there's one that I keep coming back to. Don't fight in the north or the south. Fight every battle everywhere, always, in your mind. I've done my fair share of that. Nowhere near as satisfying as the real thing, though. The Stark sisters amble slowly along the battlements, stopping at the space only recently vacated by Daenerys and Missandei. They watch as the Queen's men busy themselves, adding their own tents to those of the northern camp. Below, Daenerys greets Jon as he exits the castle. Sansa watches with a cool gaze as they fall into step together, chatting intimately and touching one another with the casual familiarity of lovers. He was looking for you, you know. I know. She already has him completely under her spell. Gods help us if she decides to marry him. You could marry him. Arya, he's my brother. Half-brother, as you've always been so quick to point out. Or did you have a more strategic partnership in mind? Sansa follows Arya's eyeline to find Tyrion climbing the steps towards them. He's the Lord of Casterly Rock now, at least in name. He's not the worst man in the world. He's not even the worst man in his own family. But finding a husband is the last thing on my mind. It used to be the only thing on your mind. Marrying a rich and handsome prince and bearing his children. Living a life of lemon cakes and pretty dresses. It's like I'm listening to you describe an entirely different person. Some silly little girl that still believes in fairy tales. She sounds unbearable. She was. I like you much better. Lady Stark, might I have a moment? Sansa nods to Arya and she departs. The Lady of Winterfell, as formidable as she is beautiful. You've come a long way since we last saw one another. You almost sound proud. I do allow myself a certain satisfaction at recognising early your fortitude of spirit. You survived Joffrey, even if your escape at his wedding did leave me in rather a compromising position. Surely you don't blame me for taking the opportunity? No, I, I don't blame you. We all do what we need to survive. And if we hadn't suffered everything we have, we wouldn't be the people we are here today. If I had the power, I'd undo it all in an instant. So would I. But we tell ourselves these little lies to get us through the day. My head used to be full of little lies. I used to imagine the world was exactly as I wanted it to be. And now? Now I know it for what it is. You remind me of a younger me. There was a time I prided myself on my brutal honesty. And now? I suppose I came to the realisation that the world was brutal enough without my contribution. If you learn to expect the worst from life, you'll never be disappointed. Or unprepared. You really have changed. If only you'd adopted these lowered expectations sooner, perhaps our marriage might have worked out after all. Sam checks the corridor for eavesdroppers, then closes the door as quietly as he can and joins Jorah by the hearth. What's on your mind, my friend? At the Citadel, you told me you once had to make a choice between your honour and the woman you loved. Go on. If you had to make the same choice today, would you choose differently? That decision cost me more than just my honour. I lost my family, my home, my self-respect. There's not a day goes by I don't wish I could make it over again. I'm going to tell you something. 
but I need you to give me your word, as an anointed knight and as a mormont. You won't tell another living soul. All right. I need to hear you say the words. Sam, I... Jorah, please. On my honour as an anointed knight and on my honour as a mormont, I give you my word. Nothing you tell me will ever leave this room. John ascends the steps and joins his sister and the Queen's hand atop the battlements. Either Winterfell has grown in size, or I has gotten better at hiding since we were children. Couldn't find her anywhere. She's not with Daenerys, then? Recognising a certain edge to Sansa's tone, Tyrion flashes John a quick glance of sympathy and bids a hasty exit. If you'll excuse me, I think I deserve a cup of wine after our long, cold ride. Sprinkle in a few cloves, neat it over the fire. It'll take some getting used to, but your insides will thank you for the warmth. Tyrion nods his thanks and leaves the Stark siblings alone. It's like I is avoiding me. I can't imagine how frustrating that must be for you. John regards Sansa warily. You want to talk? Let's talk. We'll have more privacy in my chambers. Aye, but I'll feel safer out here with witnesses. Seeing his sister's complete lack of amusement, John's smile quickly withers. Sansa strides past, and John reluctantly follows. You're angry with me. You think I made a mistake bending the knee to Daenerys. You left here a king and came back a consort. My anger can wait. Let's begin with an explanation. We need her army and we need her dragons. It's as simple as that. Bending the knee was the price I had to pay. The price she demanded. If you like. What would she have done if you refused? Watched comfortably from Dragonstone as the dead slaughtered us like sheep? Of course not. I thought kings and queens had a responsibility to protect their people. Or does that only apply to those that demonstrate sufficient subservience first? What exactly do you think happened? Do you picture me down on my hands and knees, groveling at her feet? Not exactly. I imagine you asked permission before you knelt. John glares at her, but Sansa is uncowed. When you had to choose between putting your crown or your people first, you chose your people. And would do again? Then why doesn't it concern you that she wouldn't even do it once? That asserting her dominion over the North was her first priority, defending it her second? Nothing concerns me right now, except the Night King and his army. That's a soldier's luxury. You only have to think about the next battle. But a leader has to consider the inconvenient possibility that we survive. A leader has to prepare for all the enemies still to come. It's not the next battle. It's the only battle. You can't go through life thinking there's always going to be another enemy to fight. Every time Father told us that winter was coming, do you still think he was only talking about the weather? There's always another winter, John. Daenerys is not your enemy. Everyone who isn't us is our enemy. And in this new world view of yours, am I an us? Or am I a them? Civilizations rise and fall in the time before Sansa deigns to break the frigid silence. You love her, that's plain enough. But does she love you? Why does it matter? You wouldn't be the first man she's manipulated. Arya heard all kinds of stories across the narrow sea. <laughs> what stories? How she seduced a Dothraki Karl into murdering her brother and stealing his dragons, then smothered her Karl in his sleep and claimed his men for her own. 
how she married a highborn Miranese to secure his titles, then had him butchered in the fighting pits by her sellsword lover? None of that is true. How do you know? Because I know her. And I know strong and calculating women with a thirst for power. You can't make it far in a world built for men if you refuse to use the best weapon a woman has. You can when you have three dragons at your back. Now she has two dragons at her back and a lovesick puppy at her heel. That's not what this is. I bent the knee, aye, but I'm her ally, not a servant. How do you know? How can you be sure she's not just using you two? You want proof? All right. Without another word, John turns and marches purposefully out of the room. John! Exasperated, Sansa follows quickly after her brother. Jorah leans on the edge of the table, his head lowered, staring at something a thousand miles away. Sir Jorah? Hmm? You haven't said anything for quite a long time now. Jorah straightens up, seems to rediscover his surroundings. Does John know? Nobody knows, except me and Bran, and now you. That's why I came to you first, to try and learn what John can expect when Daenerys hears the truth. You can't tell him. Not yet. He deserves to know. And he will. But first I need some time to properly think this over. I can only avoid him for so long. Eventually he's going to realise something's wrong. And if he asks me, I won't be able to lie to him. I've never been very good at lying. Jorah takes a step closer and fixes Sam with an iron gaze. Please, Samuel. This information will turn both their worlds upside down. The least we can do is take some time to consider how best to break it to them. So you think she'll take it badly? If you were told that Gilly was actually your aunt, how would you react? It wouldn't be the first unpleasant thing I learnt about her family, but I take your meaning. And John? I'm not even sure I can make him believe it. What about his claim to the throne? He already gave up one crown for Daenerys. Would he give up a second? Would she ask him to? More to the point, what if he said no? What would she do then? The question hangs in the air like an overripe fruit. What about you? Mm. You said you had something you wanted to tell me. Oh, yes. Forget about that for now. It can wait. John strides across the open ground towards Drogon and Rhaegal, Sansa hurrying behind. What are you doing? You want proof Daenerys isn't just using me for her own ends. Proof she sees me as more than just another ally. Sansa watches with alarm as Rhaegal raises up and swings his head around to face John. She stops in her tracks at what she adjudges a safe distance, but John doesn't break his stride. John! Stop! As though he's done it a thousand times, John casually climbs onto Rhaegal's back. John shoots his sister a look of pointed challenge. Bula! Sansa watches in disbelief as John and his dragon climb towards the clouds. Tyrion, Varys, and Davos Seaworth stand together in Winterfell's yard, watching as John guides Rhaegal in a series of elegant maneuvers. Jorah exits the castle. He follows suit, and his jaw drops open in horror. When did this happen? Every night since we landed. I thought it best to learn in private, without an entire army there to see him fall on his backside. The dragon refused him. Quite the opposite, actually. 
I think Rhaegal had grown rather jealous of Drogon. He took to John immediately. Lord Tyrion, perhaps you could let me know in advance the next time you decide to let my king learn by trial and error how to ride a dragon. Just as a courtesy between hands, you understand? It's like he was born on the back of a dragon. Something wrong, Mormont? Jorah swallows heavily and slopes away without a word. Tyrion watches him go, then turns back to discover that somehow Arya is now standing beside them. The expression on her face could not be further away from Jorah's. She watches Jon's demonstration with an admiring smile. Cersei and Euron sit at either end of a long banquet table. The light of the table's several candles, dwarfed by the high vaulted ceilings and cavernous recesses of the grand and stately chamber. A small feast has been laid out, but Circe's plate remains untouched. Instead, she drinks liberally from a glass of wine, the jug close to her hand for regular refills. Euron, by comparison, is making the most of his meal. His plate is overladen, but still he reaches out and grabs new portions to add to the pile before him. Circe regards him with disdain from the far reaches of the table head. You're taking your niece's escape rather well. Easy come, easy go. You have to learn to accept life as it comes, if you want to stay looking youthful. You should try it. Maybe cut back on the wine, too. A serving girl enters to remove a few of the trays, but Euron clicks his fingers and shoes her away. Aren't you worried for your crown? I already picked the Iron Islands clean of its fighting men to serve on my ship. They want to see out their days on a pile of shit-stained rocks playing king and queen to ugly women and inbred children. Who am I to stop? And if she sails back to Daenerys, raises another fleet? Then I'll sink that one too. Except this time, I'll do it with half as many ships. I want that to be impressive. Hmm. And when exactly should I expect the other half's return? They left Pentos a week ago. With good winds, they'll arrive with your shiny new soldiers before the moon turns. Then we shall have two reasons to celebrate. Euron takes a second to catch on, but finally the realisation dawns. He licks his fingers clean and walks the length of the table to kneel before Circe. He presses his head to her stomach. My son, my heir. He leans back, looking up into Circe's face. My queen. Euron returns his head to Circe's stomach. She places her hand on top of his possessively, reassured of his commitment. The principles of the coming war file silently into the Great Hall of Winterfell. Sansa enters and takes the right of centre seat, the spaces to her left filled by Davos, Brienne of Tarth, Lyanna Mormont, Jon Royce and Sam. Daenerys takes the left of centre seat and Tyrion, Varys and Missandei arrange themselves to her right. Jon enters last. He hesitates when he spots that both his sister and his lover have left a seat beside them for him to fill. Every pair of eyes in the room watches with interest to see how John will decide. 
Deftly dodging the issue, he walked with purpose to the centre of the room. Let's make a start, shall we? Run, you had something you wanted to say? John moves aside, and a stark guard pushes Bran forward in his chair. Tyrion and Varys share a quick look of appreciation at John's evasion as he forgoes sitting entirely, and opts instead to remain standing beside his brother. You have to go north. I thought we just did. Lord Varys, this isn't the north. You need to go north of the wall. Run. We've been north of the wall. I lost a dragon north of the wall. You need to go as north as north goes. To the land of always winter. The precious few accounts we have of the Long Night all agree. That's where the White Walkers first appeared from, and that's where they returned. Sam notices John's questioning glance. Why hasn't his friend sought him out since his return? And quickly looks away. North of the Frostfangs, on a great plateau of ice by the sea, surrounded by mountains on three sides, sits a palace made entirely of ice. If you're looking for answers to the Night King, that's where you'll find them. That's all you can tell us. I wish there were more, but every time I get close the vision suddenly ends. It's like a door slamming shut in my face. How long would it take us to reach this palace of ice? A month just to reach the Frostfangs. Another two weeks, maybe, to make it over the mountains. Beyond that, it's impossible to say. So it's hopeless? No, there is a way. On the back of a dragon. Two dragons, I thought. The Night King is almost upon us, and you'd have us send away the only hope we have of defeating him. We'd be gambling with the lives of every living soul in Winterfell. If only that were all, we'd be gambling. Twice in my life I've experienced dark forces beyond our understanding. When the warlocks of Karth stole my dragons. When Miri Mazdur... On both occasions I underestimated the extent of my enemy's powers. That is not a mistake I intend to make a third time. When my brother in the Night's Watch came for the Lord Commander, I learnt that whites are vulnerable to fire. At Hardhome, I saw for myself how the Night King raises the dead to serve as soldiers in his army. And north of the Wall, we discovered that destroying a White Walker also destroys his thralls. Each encounter made me better prepared for the next, because I had new information to work with. I've never encountered the undead firsthand. As these words leave his lips, Davos's gaze unconsciously shifts and settles on John. John shoots back a scowl, and Davos hurries on. But I certainly can attest to the power of light magic, as can you, Lady Brienne. I would have defended Lord Renly against the stranger himself, but no swordsman alive could hope to win a fight against a shadow. Whatever weight the opinion of an old smuggler might hold in this esteemed company, I cast my vote in favour of learning everything we can, while we can. Lord Snow said it himself. Destroy a white walker, and you destroy all the whites he created. We destroy the Night King, we destroy his armies. What more do we need to know? Tell me, Lord Varys, is there a limit to how far white can roam from the white walker that created him before his strings snap? Did the Night King create the white walkers? If so, is their fate tied to his the way a white is tied to the white walker that raised it from the dead? How do we know the Night King is even vulnerable to dragonfire? How do we know there's only one Night King? The room falls into a contemplative silence. Without speaking the words, all present collectively decide this is simply too bleak a scenario to entertain, and quickly move right along. 
What about your abilities? Can they help us at all? If I may, what precisely are these abilities of? Forgive me, I'm not sure how I should address you. Lord Stark? Lord Raven? How about just Bran? Bran, very good. What I would like to know, what we all need to know, is the precise nature and extent of your magic, and how it might serve us in the wars to come. Can you see everything that ever was? Everything that ever will be? Can you transform me into a windmill, or make a cockerel speak high valerian? There are limits to my abilities. I'd have thought the chair made that rather plain. Forgive me, but I think- You don't trust magic, or those who practice it. I can understand that, considering what was taken from you in its service. Varys looks to Tyrion, who shakes his head in denial. If Bran knows the story of Varys and the sorcerer, he didn't learn it from Tyrion. Magic is only a tool, to be used for good or ill, and only as effective as the one who wields it. The Night King put an end to my training when he destroyed the last Three-Eyed Raven. And your abilities can't tell us anything about the Night King that might save us having to send our two greatest weapons to try and find the Snowflake in the snowstorm on the eve of battle. The Three-Eyed Raven that came before me learned to unmoor himself from the present and travel backwards and forwards to witness both the past and the future. He was able to summon a specific moment at will. I don't have anything close to that kind of control. So your visions of the past are totally random? The past is a frustratingly big place, Bran. Not random, no. I don't see so much as I am shown. They're too specific, too relevant to be random. It's always the same places, the same people. Visions of events yet to occur are even more personal. I've yet to witness anyone's future but my own. It's as though some great invisible hand directs my gaze, only permitting me to see as much or as little as it will allow. In theory, given the right vision, could you change the past? Alter the course of events to prevent any of this from ever happening? I don't think it works like that. But it has before. What happened to Hodor? You can do that. Run, if you really are that powerful. When I've influenced the past, it didn't change the future so much as confirm it. My actions merely provided the missing link in the chain that tethers the past to the present. But you're not certain. If you don't entirely understand the limits of your abilities, perhaps with more practice. We need you to try, Run. Whatever you can do, whatever you can tell us. Is it dangerous? Inside the vision, I mean. When I told you the Night King had only appeared to me once before, there was one other occasion, in the very early days of my studies. I thought I was beyond the limits of his perception. I was wrong. Bran pulls back his sleeve and holds up his wrist so that the room can inspect the black imprint of the Night King's grip. I bear his mark now. He can always find me, wherever or whenever I might be. Bran. It's all right, Sansa. You need me to try. Daenerys looks to Varys and to Tyrion, both of whom appear far from convinced at Bran's designs for Daenerys and her dragons. She looks to John, her question plain on her face. John nods. And we need to give ourselves the best possible chances of defeating the Night King. To do that, we need all the intelligence we can gather. John and I will ride as far north as north goes. Your Grace, I really We'll decide on our plan of battle this evening, once my commanders have completed their survey of Winterfell. John and I will depart at first light. Tyrion bites his tongue, but looks about the room in a silent plea for support. You told us you've witnessed your own future. Tell me, 
is a long and happy future? I don't know. I've never seen beyond this conversation. And that door opening. <coughs> Run. You said you'd... The doors to the Great Hall swing open, and Tormund Giantsbane and Beric Dondarrion burst in. We rode day and night. The dead are through the wall. And the Night King has your dragon, your grace. The preceding podcast was entirely a work of fan fiction. It was unofficial, unaffiliated, and unauthorised. Neither the podcast, nor any individual involved in its production, is now, nor has ever been, in any way associated with HBO, Game of Thrones, George R. R. Martin, or the Song of Ice and Fire book series. The podcast was, is now, and shall always be, entirely without profit. Neither the podcast directly, nor its makers indirectly, generate or receive any form of revenue or financial restitution that might otherwise accrue to the rightful copyright holders. The preceding podcast was entirely a work of fan fiction. We hope you enjoyed it.